Thursday, everyone. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Make sure you check out their line of natural medicine products. Abotanicalcompany.com is their website, or you can give them a call, 405-458-9699. Educate yourself on their products and how they can benefit your daily life. You can order online. It's easy pickup. Uh, I, I just, I love what these people are all about. They're about helping people live better lives. So, once again, check out the website, abotanicalcompany.com, or give them a call, 405-458-9699. That is Artisan Botanicals. All right, the NBA draft last night, the Oklahoma City Thunder were active. I thought yesterday in terms of a draft day and the excitement around the Thunder was maybe as fun as we've had in a long time. And even though they didn't walk away with some jaw-dropping, home-run, guaranteed future NBA All-Star, uh, I, I just, again, I, I found the movement throughout the day and then even into the NBA draft to be exhilarating as far as being a sports fan. Uh, you know, Chris Paul obviously gets traded earlier this week. Dennis Schroeder gets traded earlier this week. They move Danny Green to the Philadelphia 76ers before the draft even begins. Al Horford uh, and another player, an international point guard, and a couple of picks come to OKC. Um so we were we were already kind of set up for this to be a ton of fun. And then the Thunder trade, Ricky Rubio picks 25 and 28 uh, to the Minnesota Timberwolves to get pick 17 and take Alexei Pokashevsky, a seven-foot power forward with handles and passing ability. And if you listened to the podcast yesterday, you heard Aaron and I talking about him and just the overall skill set and, you know, being one of those guys that OKC may target toward the end of the first round. But... You know, this is a guy that obviously doesn't help you right away. He's a project, massive ceiling. I think in terms of the players that were available at that point in time, there were certainly players that were more NBA-ready today, but I don't know that anybody that was remaining on the board has the ceiling that this guy has in terms of what he could turn into if he's developed the right way. And so when you're a rebuilding team like Oklahoma City, again, I think there were maybe better, more well-equipped guys to come in and help immediately but you're trying to hit home runs. You're trying to find game changers. And at 17, uh, that guy probably just doesn't exist. So to take a chance to take a flyer on a seven-footer that has a unique skill set, why not? I, I think uh, it's the way to go. Obviously, they added some pieces in the second round, a couple of point guards, uh, international point guards. The the Teo Maladon kid is a guy that I saw in the projected to go in the top 20 of a couple mock drafts. So... Uh, I think they felt like they got good value there. And again, well, I, I don't think the moves are done. So in terms of trying to project which guys are going to be here next year, which guys may take a couple more years, and which guys, you know, again, won't be potentially moved before the weekend, uh, let's let's wait till the dust settles and, and maybe have a better idea of what this is going to look like after a potential Steven Adams trade or whoever else might be on the trading block. But this has been a fun week in terms of the NBA uh, rumor mill and just the way that everything has happened and obviously Oklahoma City with their big trades have been at the forefront so uh, that's been a lot of fun uh, Bedlam is just a couple days away Mike Steely and I will have pregame coverage two hours before kickoff just go to Colby or at Colby underscore Daniels on Twitter I will tweet the link again two hours before kickoff and we will be with you for an hour uh, talking Oklahoma Oklahoma State the matchup we're gonna have some fun tell some jokes uh, it'll be a good time. So join us two hours before kickoff on Saturday, and I will tweet that link at Colby underscore Daniels. All right, my buddy Carson Cunningham from KOCO Channel 5 is going to join me. We're talking 
Thunder, we're talking trades, we're talking NBA draft, we're talking foundation pieces and what's next in terms of this rebuilding process for OKC. And then we'll hit Bedlam and the matchup and where either team might have an advantage. And then obviously Mike Gundy and his role in this matchup. And an interesting question uh, because I, I think that deservedly so, Mike Gundy gets a lot of criticism for the Bedlam record. It should be better my question is, how much better? What is a realistic expectation for how often Oklahoma State should beat Oklahoma? So we'll discuss that as well. So once again, thank you guys for joining me every day. The audio version of this is available on all the podcast platforms as soon as we finish streaming. So uh, thank you guys. Here is Carson Cunningham with KOCO Channel 5 on the Colby Daniels podcast. Carson, this is a crazy sports week in the state of Oklahoma. Normally, we would be talking Bedlam 24-7 Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, obviously Big 12 championship implications for that matchup. But when you have Chris Paul traded, when the Thunder announce a new head coach, when you have an NBA draft, when you have new players that most people can't pronounce their names, that kind of seems to be the, the headline in Oklahoma. I'm going to need a program this year. I know that I cover the team. I'm not just sitting up in the stands, but I, I'm going to need a program to see who's on the roster for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I love it, Colby, because we've been talking about Bedlam for like two weeks now because they had both. They were both on a bye week, so the draft to me came at a perfect time. I've broken down Bedlam for two weeks now on my uh, OSU podcast that I do. So. I love the draft. It's been kind of boring in recent years for the Thunder because they're always picking in the, the upper 20s. And obviously, Presti has you know 17 first-round picks to play with. So last night was the first instance in which we can see. I know what he's going to be going for in the, in, the, in the future. Obviously, it's it's unprecedented for Thunder fans, Thunder organization. They've they've made the playoffs virtually every year they've been here. So it's it's a totally new vibe, a totally new feel. And I, I was interested to watch what Sam was doing last night. All right, so let's let's rewind back to the beginning of the week and before we hit the draft and everything that happened last night, just just thoughts on on I guess the Chris Paul trade, what the Thunder got in return, how that compared to your expectations of what the Thunder were going to get for a guy that I think leaves a pretty impressive legacy behind. Yeah, it's it's amazing because when they acquired Chris Paul, it was viewed as the worst contract in the league, worse than Russell Westbrook's. Now, you could argue since the Thunder got more assets in return that Russell's was actually worse. But what Sam's been able to do with assets that were deemed to have no value at all, he gets tenfold the value you would expect. Chris Paul, one of the worst contracts in the league money-wise, but what did he do? He, he rehabbed his trade value by letting him play this past season having an all-star caliber season, getting the Thunder into the playoffs. I loved the haul. I mean, Kelly Oubre is a wing that averaged, you know, 18 points a game. He's on an expiring, so you're not going to get a high first-round draft pick, maybe not get a first-round draft pick at all, but that's a guy at the trade deadline that a contending team like a Dallas or, you know, teams of that ilk will certainly give you something to get him at the trade deadline to go try to win a championship. And obviously, the, the young players, we'll have to wait and see on that. But to get a first-round pick from Phoenix in 2022, when Chris Paul's contract will be expiring that summer, that could be an unbelievable draft pick. And they didn't have they didn't have one in that's the, that's the 2025 pick. I'm thinking of I'm losing track of all the picks that they have. <laughs> but but to get a first-round pick for Chris Paul, a contract that was deemed untradeable. It's just another stroke of genius by by Preston. You're seeing it time and time again with each trade. Even Dennis Schroeder 
aren't expiring. It's usually tough to get a lot for them. I was somewhat disappointed when I first saw their trading with the Lakers, and it was the 28th overall pick. But the more you dive deeper into it with people who are really locked into the league, that to get a first-round pick for a guy on an expiring contract is hard to do. So you're only going to get one from a team like the Lakers that's picking late in the first round. So, I mean, you're seeing Presti just getting assets upon assets for people that you do, you wouldn't think he would be able to get, and that's going to be a trend moving forward. I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed that we're not going to have a Carson Cunningham tribute video to Ricky Rubio or Danny Green. <laughs> I'm, I'm running behind because, <laughs> you know, they lost T. Ferg, they lost Nader, right. they, you know, they lost Chris Schroeder. Uh, Danny Green wasn't here long enough to get a cup of coffee, and Rubio did, probably didn't even make it here. So that that is, uh, I'm having trouble with that because the moves are moving fast and furious. Now I, I'm not emotionally prepared for the Stephen Adams tribute video. That that's one I'll probably have to do. That'll be a little bit of a tearjerker because we all love Steve. But you know everyone's on the table, Colby. I mean it's plain and simple. I mean they're an asset gathering mode, and it. And I, I would just caution Thunder fans, like I, I keep hearing people say, well, maybe we'll keep Kelly Oubre and he'll be good for the future. And I'm like, it doesn't matter who's on the team for the next two, three, four years because all they're doing is trying to acquire as many assets for leverage. And that leverage is going to be, and what's exciting for me and I think for everyone else that follows the Thunder, Colby, is with 17 first-round picks, maybe 16 now, I lost track after last night's draft, they're going to get a virtually a top five pick for their own pick because they're going to be among the bottom teams in the league. Let's say you get the fourth or fifth pick. You'd have enough draft capital to move up and go get number one for the next two, three, four, right. five years. I don't know. I mean, they're not done getting first round picks. So that, that's what's exciting is, is they're going to be up there high to get franchise type players. They didn't get that in this draft, believe me. But that's when you're going to get your next Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden, if you can. I mean, they drafted three first, three first ballot Hall of Famers. I mean, they're not going to do that again, but they're going to get some quality players for sure. Well, there will be drafts where I think people view the the premier talent, unlike last night, as you know the guaranteed future NBA All Star guys. And and I'm not saying that those guys couldn't be, but I don't think anybody just points at Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, or Lamelo Ball and just says guaranteed NBA All Star. There are big question marks with all of their games. But, you know, again, the upside is there. Uh, for Oklahoma City, I think it's an interesting situation with Steven Adams because I kind of thought after the Schroeder trade, after the Chris Paul trade, the fact that Danilo Gallinari was moving on, he has $27 million left on his contract for one season. It, it seemed to me like it, at that point it made more sense to keep him. Let that money come off the books next year, and then you have a lot of options as far as what you can do with it. Are you going to eventually give that to Lou Dort and SGA or Darius Baisley? Uh, you know, it, I think it just gives them a lot of versatility in what they can do uh, from a financial standpoint. But when you make the move last night to acquire Al Horford, it gets really interesting with the Steven Adams situation now. I'm with you. I mean, I, I was right there with you in terms of you have a lot of options with Steve. I think I think I think he still has some value in the league. A team like Boston has been sniffing around him for for a long time now. But I kind of was with you in terms of you're going to have a ton of young players coming in. You need some veteran presence to kind of show them the quote-unquote thunder way. And I can't think of a better representative to do that than Steven Adams. But you're right. I mean, I don't think you can afford to pay Al Horford his massive salary and Steven's massive salary. Also making salary $27 million, and, yeah. Yeah, now I, I think you're 
at right now you're getting close to the salary floor uh, until you acquired those two guys. So maybe you have room for both and you can afford to be patient, but I'm with you. I, I don't see any way that they enter the season with both of those guys. And you would think Steve would have more trade value at this point, considering Horford has so many years remaining for so much money. Not, not a lot of teams are willing to take on that contract. The Thunder are one of the very few that can, and you're going to see, you're going to see more of this where the Thunder take on bad contracts to get a pick back. That's, that's the name of the game. That's what you do when you're you're trying to go to the, the top of the draft is acquire all the bad contracts people don't want because they have to give you an asset for it. And now Steve is one of the few on the on the roster, along with Horford, that you may have to give an asset back with because of the salary implications and teams not wanting to pay that. But I, I would love to see them just keep Steve and re-sign him for a far lesser annual basis and kind of take all these young players under his wing. I think you need some veteran voices when yeah. you're going to be drafting two, three guys every single year. Yeah, let the money come off the books, re-sign him for, you know, $7 million or whatever. I mean, whatever you deem worthy of, of the actual contribution that you're getting from, I, I think at this point it's fair to say a situational center in today's NBA. He's just he's just not a guy that you can play in in – every situation against every opponent in every single matchup. So uh, from a leadership standpoint, he's still valuable. I, I think, I, at least I get the impression that he likes it here. They obviously think the world of him, and, and he's a Thunder guy. So, yeah, I mean, it makes it makes sense that they would give him some sort of Nick Collison type of contract to keep him around, be that guy in the locker room. And obviously he still has more in the tank than Collison had at the end of his career, but... I mean, I don't think anybody is disputing the fact that, that Steven Adams at this point making $27 million is just absurd. I mean, there's no way that, that that's something they want to do long term. No, absolutely not. And, and the game has just passed him by. Now, you still need centers against certain teams. That's what I think you meant by, you know, situational center. There are some teams that play bigger. And, and look, Steve is he's agile for a seven foot guy. Now he can't shoot and he's not a modern center in terms of spacing the floor and all of those things. But in certain matchups, like it was like the worst case scenario for him that they played the Rockets. Like right. he didn't belong on the floor at all. And I thought Billy Donovan did a terrible job by not playing Baisley more. You just go look at all the metrics. They were so much better with, with Darius Baisley on the floor than Steve. Now, had they played other teams in the West who play bigger, he would have played a lot of minutes and, and played pretty well. It was just kind of the perfect storm to kind of really shine a light on on how outdated Steve is in, in the league. But um, I don't know. It's interesting to see what, what they're going to do because they, they have to pay somebody on this roster. Right. You, they, have to they, hit the floor. you can't go below the salary floor. Now, that's why I think, you know, Sam's not just going to give away Kelly Oubre all of a sudden. I think it's he's going to wait. And I... This is where it's, it gets interesting for the Thunder in terms of who they're going to keep. I kind of thought they were going to keep Ricky Rubio, let him play and play well and get and increase his trade value. But they, I think they maxed out his trade value by moving up to 17 last night. Now, Kelly Oubre, let him play, let, let him play alongside SGA and score 20 points a game. Then it's kind of like the Chris Paul thing where at one time nobody wanted him plays really well like, oh we, we can actually win with that guy and kelly Oubre is young he's he's what everyone's trying to find in the league a wing that can shoot and score and I, i'm excited to see what they can get for him too i think that's another yeah. either first round pick or you know late first early second somewhere around there yeah versatile defender i mean if you're a team like milwaukee or the lakers or i mean name your team that's that's kind of making that run denver for example 
if you get to the trade deadline, Kelly Oubre, I, I wouldn't have any problem trading a first-round pick that you estimate being between 20 and 30 for Kelly Oubre, even on a rental, because that might be the piece that puts you over the top. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that's that's why Sam's so brilliant is he didn't just get those spare parts from Phoenix in the first round pick. He also got Kelly Oubre, who, look, the, the Suns put Kelly Oubre in like all of their promotional kits for their new uniforms. Like he was an, an important player for them. And Sam was like, uh-uh, we're getting Oubre if you want Chris Paul. He, he Sam is so good at like holding teams' feet to the fire and getting more than most everyone in the league expects him to get. Like, I don't know if you heard Zach Lowe and Brian Windhorst. I tweeted out the, the audio clip of them talking, and Zach Lowe was talking about the Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook trades, and he was like, what Sam Presti's doing is obscene. It's not nice. Like, he's, like, basically insinuating that Sam is just, like, hurting other GMs by what he does to them. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's so true, and uh, it's, it's going to be amazing to watch what he's able to do. Now, I think Sam gets a lot of unfair criticism for his drafting. I mean – when you're picking in the 20s, like I'll, I'll grant you Cameron Payne and I'll grant you Cole Aldridge. Those were bad picks. We knew Aldridge was a stiff watching him in the Big 12. But I will say this. Go back and look at that draft. It was very similar to this draft in that he packaged a couple of later picks to get into the lottery just to try to get someone that could play in the league. I think it's very similar this year with, with that Pokashevsky kid. Cameron Payne, he whiffed. Another, another pretty bad draft. Woof, Other yeah. than that. He's done a really good job. Now, Mitch McGarry in the 20s, I mean, Robertson turned into a decent player. Like, when you're picking the 20s, you're basically just blindfolded and swinging a, at a pinata. I mean, you're, you're very – your chances of getting an, a, a rotational player at that late. When he's picked high – I mean, I just mentioned it, three, three Hall of Famers. When he picks high in the draft, he nails it, and he goes against the grain. Nobody thought Russell should be the number four overall pick. Nobody thought James Harden should go three. We all kind of thought Ricky Rubio would look good for the Thunder, and he was here about five seconds. So I trust Sam to, to nail the high picks when he gets them. Yeah, I mean, Serge Ibaka, uh, Reggie Jackson, I mean, those were picks that that obviously at, at points uh, played a, a crucial role in, in this Thunder team's success. But – yeah, I'm with you, and and it's interesting because there was a point in time where this team was competing in the West, and the Thunder had these picks in the 20s, and in the draft, I think so often you're talking about potential and what guys may become, but it kind of also depends what your situation is, and I feel like for years the Thunder have been in a situation where you're not really looking for a, you're not really looking for the guy that you're going to stash away for three years and hopefully is a home run. You're looking for a guy that may give you eight minutes. A night. I mean, if you can get a, a veteran, like a you know a three or four year college player, that can come in and contribute immediately, that to me seemed like it was going to be more valuable over the last few seasons than hoping you hit the home run like the Pokachevsky pick last night. But you know, I, I think that's where it's interesting because fans wanted a guy for the last several seasons that could come in and play immediately, and and even the Darius Baisley pick. I was I, you know I I didn't I didn't know anything about him. All I heard was that he was a project and he was probably a couple years away from even being able to get on an NBA floor. Obviously, that's not the case. But when that's the impression you get about a draft pick and you're talking about a team that has Russell Westbrook and Paul George and a team that needs to get a little bit of help, even if it's just a rotational player, taking projects doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. But they're in rebuild mode. Take all the projects you want. I mean, at this point... A rotational player, you have those guys. Like, it doesn't make any difference in terms of how good you are. Take all the three, four, five-year projects you can find at this point, and if one hits, 
you're a genius. Absolutely, and, and I'm, I'm with you there. I, I was pretty critical of some of those picks in the late 20s because of what you said. You're, you're trying to win the title. And a guy like Desmond Bain last night, guy we watched here in the Big 12 country from TCU, that guy to me looks like a 3 and D starter on a title contender. Like Those are the types of picks I've wanted yeah. Sam to make. A guy who can shoot the basketball. A guy can come in for 10 minutes, and if you leave him open while Russell's got the ball, he's going to hit a three. And he drafted, you know, the Josh Hustises of the world, you know, projects where he was trying to be the smartest guy in the room instead of getting a guy who can come in and, and shoot the basketball and space the floor and, and really help you in, in crunch time. And now you look at drafts, you're like, oh, is a rookie really going to help a title contender? Well, I think certain role players like that. So my, that's when I'm critical of Sam picking a guy like, like, a, like a Andre Robertson who's going to take three or four or five years to learn how to shoot a basketball. Never did. Ended up playing really good minutes and ended up being a good pick. But those types of players where it felt like Sam was reaching, they're in a different era now. I'm totally with you. Swing all the home run swings you can swing here because especially when you're in the 17 to 25 range, like you're not going to take a, a guy that's going to end up, you know, who's pretty much the finished product already after playing a year in college. Uh, you, you take the projects and that's what I, I think we're willing to see here in the late stages of the first round. You go get your franchise players when you got the, the number three overall pick. You swing for the fences with 16, 17 first round picks later in, the, in those stages. And, and you had to move up to do it. I mean, they gave up yeah. some, some pieces to do it. I, this is clear to me that the Alexei Pokashevsky, who I got to pr practice saying his name, is something they've targeted for a long time, Colby. It's, it's clear that's who they were targeting to move up and get. Apparently, his agent used to work for the Thunder. He was like director of strategic planning, oh. a guy named Jason Rene or Rene. I'm not sure how to say his last name either. But so there's some obvious relationships there, and we can break him down further. But I think it's this is I love the move in terms of 25, 28, go get up into the teens and get someone you really think has potential. I think the reaction last night for fans, A, because there were some, some I guess, more well-known college players available at 17 when the Thunder got that pick, uh, probably plays somewhat of a role in the disappointment. But B, and I'm guilty of this at times as well, when the Thunder, or anybody for that matter, takes a guy that we just don't know anything about, the natural reaction, I think, is, what the hell are they doing? This is crazy. I mean, but uh, <laughs> at least I was aware of this guy, and, and I had spent a, a couple hours uh, yesterday kind of looking at, at maybe some options in the first round. He was one of the guys on the list that I had, and, and so I watched a, a bunch of, you know, for what it's worth, highlight film on him. So I was at least aware that this guy was probably on their radar, that this guy might be an option for them. But I think it is really easy when you don't know anything about a guy, and especially when it's an overseas guy, to just be like, what? Are you serious? Like, Tyrese Maxey's available. We just watched that guy play at Kentucky. Come on. <laughs> When they have to go to the YouTube video on like the draft broadcast, oh, yeah. you know you're going to a very remote location. And the B League in Greece is about as remote as it gets. Now, I know Giannis played in that league, but we're not going to start comparing this guy to, to Giannis. And it's kind of hilarious watching some of the video. I'm sure you noticed it, Colby. He, he makes Kevin Durant look like DK Metcalf. Absolutely. That's how skinny this guy is. This guy looks... 
and, and again, he's 18 years old. I mean, I was, I was skin and bones when I was 18 years old as well. It's just on paper, it looks almost kind of hilarious. Like this is like the, the prototypical drafting of some kid from Europe that will probably never play in the league. Yeah. But I do love it in terms of he has the potential scouts rave about this guy being seven feet tall at 18 years old. He can already handle the basketball, which is very intriguing in terms of today's NBA. And, you know, Olympiakos is a, is a famous club in Greece. They have soccer and basketball. And I mean, obviously they identified this kid when he was like 13 or 14 years old. So he has time. Not many teams in the NBA have four years to develop somebody. You know, Fran Fraschilla, who we all know in Big 12 country, was very critical of this guy. He knows his stuff. So there are detractors out there. It's not just a home run pick, yay, thunder. This is a guy who knows a lot about basketball and thinks he's not very good at all. And Fran had that famous quote of about, a, uh, I think it was the the Bruno guy that went, ended up going to Memphis, that he was two years away from being two years away. <laughs> That's kind of what this kid is. Yeah. But if he hits, if he's the next Porzingis, yeah. well, then you've, you've hit the lottery. So that's that's the thinking behind this pick. But it is funny kind of watching the video. He looks like he's 13 years old and weighs about 140 pounds. Yeah, I, I joked last night that uh, maybe even more than development, he just needs to spend the next two years in Oklahoma City eating chicken fried steaks with gravy. And, and he might be <laughs> NBA ready two years from now just from a body standpoint. But I'll, I'll, I'll just say this. And, and again, you know, the competition he was playing over there, doesn't translate to NBA competition. Most of the guys he was playing against look like you and I out there defending on the perimeter. It, I mean, it's, it's you know, a 5'10 to, to 6'2 type of competition on this 7-footer that, that, like you said, has a terrific handle. But I, I, sometimes I get frustrated watching these guys that are clearly just bigger than everybody, and then all they do is catch the ball on the block, turn around, and drop it through the net against competition that clearly isn't NBA competition, and they're never going to be able to do that once they get to the NBA. So the fact that he's playing on the perimeter and showing a skill set and seemingly, I I think almost every highlight I saw, he shot the ball some, but most of the highlights were him handling the ball, passing, getting teammates involved. Like, at least you get a little bit of visibility as far as the skill set and what he's capable of and and maybe what the mentality is versus just, you know, this is a seven-footer that is putting the ball in the in the net over guys that are half his size, and that's never going to happen when he eventually shows up here. Yeah, that's why the draft is such a, an inexact science. I mean, he could be Porzingis, or he could be Dragon Bender. He could be, you know, a total stiff, uh, you know, like Nikola Jokic. I mean, he was a second-round pick. No one knew it. He looked like, you know, a big giant blob of putty when he got over here. I mean, you have to mold these guys into players, and that's where I kind of trust – this is why I really trust the Oklahoma City Thunder in terms of their player development, Colby. I mean, they get, they'll get this guy in their their training room in terms of putting on weight, and their their player development is really an underrated success story for this franchise. I mean, how many players have left? You know, everyone gripes that when guys leave, they play better. Well, a lot of it's situational, and they get to play more minutes because they're not playing like Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. There are more minutes available, so they're going to score more points. But I think their player development has shined through when these guys go other places, and and once they get the the time to on the court, they they flourish. And even even players they've kept for long stretches of time. Andre Robertson was a power forward in college. He turned into the best wing defender in the entire NBA. And I don't think he, that's just all on him. I think their player development has been exceptional. So that's that's encouraging in terms of you're in Oklahoma City. 
they're all about basketball. They're hardcore about everything they do. And I think it's going to be a lab for him. And he probably couldn't have gone to a better place in terms of a, a team that's not going to push him onto the floor too early. And their development is is one of the best in the NBA. That's that's what I'm looking forward to as well. He's gonna he's gonna change quickly once he gets here. Mark Mark Dagnalt is a guy that is is the player development guy. I mean, I think that's a big reason why he got this job, considering the position Oklahoma City is in. I've had several people in the last couple weeks not say that they don't believe SGA is a good player, but that they don't believe maybe he is the found the foundation piece for this team, the guy to build around. Um, I, I I would still like to see what he looks like next year without Chris Paul playing on the ball a little bit more, kind of taking what he learned from Chris Paul and putting it to use. That said, I get the people that are like, you know, Donovan Mitchell hit the ground running. He's not Donovan Mitchell. He's never going to be Donovan Mitchell. Uh, I did think it was interesting, though, when you combine the trades that they made yesterday and the draft picks, Oklahoma City acquired five point guards this week. Is that interesting is to you? Five? Five. Is it five? We got Ty Jerome <laughs> and Jalen. I don't even know how to say the name. Laquay? Laquay? Something like that. He was uh he was a big time recruit Westbrook, out of high school, supposed him. to go to NC State. So there's two Baby Westbrook. Yeah. There's two yeah. six four athletic. Uh <laughs> that's the that's the scouting report on Jalen. Uh, and then last night in the draft, uh Michich, uh is it Theo Maladon? Maladon? And then uh Krechi. Crutchy obviously is a, a stash guy, but I don't know. That's that's interesting to me. Well, they did get rid of Schroeder and Chris Paul. You need you need backup for for uh, SGA, but I, I do think with the way I've, I've always been a big SGA guy, and I kind of do think he is the franchise moving forward. Now he really struggled in in big moments in the playoffs, and it wasn't his first playoff series. He played really well the year prior with the LA Clippers. So what I'm looking forward to this year is this is his team you put him put him in the driver's seat put him in some tough positions put him put some pressure on him to deliver for a young team and see what happens i do think this is a huge year for him in terms of what are you are you a second third banana or are you the guy right and i think that's what we're going to see some this year obviously he'll be on a bad team he'll get his numbers but I want to see what he can do on the floor in terms of being the go-to guy and being the unquestioned leader of a team. And that's that's what they're going to be asking of him the next two, three, four years. So he's going to get a large stretch to do that. But I do think that he has a lot to prove this year, Colby. I really do, because he did struggle in the playoffs, but now it's a di- totally different situation. And we've kind of pegged him as the franchise guy. Now he has to go He has to go prove it. I mean, the NBA is, is unrelenting. You have to prove it every single night. And, and maintain your rep- reputation. So it's going to be interesting to watch for sure. Yeah, I, look, I, I think he has all the potential in the world, and I still think the ceiling for him is incredibly high. But as you know, in, in this NBA world, uh, it becomes, I mean, people turn on you very quickly if you don't produce in big moments. And like I said, I, I just I think you have to give him the keys to the car and, and let him go through it that way before you can really make that decision. But I understand the people that, that may look at him and say, you know, it didn't take some of these other superstars currently in the NBA three or four years. Now, everybody develops at a different pace, but uh, I, I do think it's interesting, and, and I do think that SGA is a long-term guy. I, I just I, I would agree with the people that say it's, it's worth questioning whether he is the guy, but I think he's a piece that you would have to get just an unbelievable haul for in terms of, of being available or not available in a, in a trade scenario. 
Yeah, and I'm curious to see, you know, is he a point guard? Like, I know that's his position, title, but is is he more suited to play off the ball as, as a two guard? I don't know. His shooting has improved. He's a bigger guy for a point guard, and I know the NBA is kind of going positionless, and that's, you know, you're – you're getting into some semantics there, but I, I am curious to see with all the point guards they've added, how much does he move off the ball? There's a lot to be determined there. So that that's interesting. And I'm sure if I'm SGA, I'm not excited about a, a Pokashevsky guy coming in who's two years away from being two years away. And especially on a team that was in the playoffs last year, how does he handle being the face of a franchise that is not trying to win? That's, that's hard for a, a guy who's been on some good teams. That Clippers team made the playoffs. He made the playoffs. He's used to be in the playoffs every year. And you're right, Donovan Mitchell took off in the bubble. Several of those young guys took off in the bubble, and he struggled. So I'm curious to see how he handles that. Um, so how would you grade Pokashevsky in terms of the draft pick? Did you like it? Did you love it? Was it okay? How do you feel about it? I like it. I, I thought that giving up Ricky Rubio 25 and 28 seemed like a lot. But again, I think when you're looking at trying to hit a home run that late when you when you just look at what he is today and what he could be, I think there's a bigger gap between what he is and the ceiling of what he could be than maybe anybody else that was available at that point. So, again, if, if you take a, you know, I, I liked Tyrese Maxey. You mentioned a guy like Desmond Bain, who I thought would have been great value there. Um, I, I think, was Sadiq Bey still available at that point? Like, that's a guy that I, I really liked in this draft. Not from a, a star potential but just as a a rotational guy that's going to shoot the ball well and play defense and give you some versatility it it just what do you want you know if you're going after a a guy that is potentially a foundation piece that pick makes all the sense in the world if you're looking for a guy that's just going to come in and contribute then Sadiq Bey or Desmond Bain makes a lot more sense so I would say I like the pick because the Thunder are in a situation where whether they got Sadiq Bey or Desmond Bain or Tyrese Maxey or uh, Tyrell Terry, I mean, you know, name whoever you want to name that, that the Thunder may have had their eyes on. I, none of those guys, I think, makes really a difference in the overall win-loss record next season or maybe even the year after next. So uh, this guy, you know, if he turns into anything close to Christoph Porzingis, you hit a home run yeah, 17. I mean, I, I mean it's, yeah. I, 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 so I would say I like it. I don't love it, uh, but I, I, I don't, you can't necessarily sell me on any any other pick there being better. I love it. I love it because what you just said is right. I thought this draft was pretty terrible for, for all the moving and shaking that was going on for draft positioning. I mean, you typically judge drafts like we all remember the LeBron Carmelo Wade draft, right? You judge them usually on the top five and top three and how many all-stars there are. This is the first draft where I didn't even know who the number one pick. I didn't watch Anthony Edwards play a single minute. And so I don't think this draft is any good at all. I think we're going to look back at it. And, and that was kind of the, the label it had coming in. So that's why I love this pick because you're swinging for the fences. I would grade it an A. I, I do think you gave up a lot to get the 17 pick, but not, you know, 25 and 28. Are those guys even going to end up being on the team at this right. point? Who knows? So you move up, you swing for the fences for a guy that if it hits, you've landed, you know, an unbelievable player along the lines of a Porzingis. And so I, I would give it an A because you're swinging for the fences and you moved up to get them. And, and again, I, I just think – when you redraft this draft, I think there's a legit chance Pokashevsky will be in the top five when they redraft it, you know, five, ten years from now. You go back to that Steven Adams draft at 12, that was a terrible draft. 
he would have been in the top three if they had redrafted. So I think Sam's shown that he gets guys that if you redraft it, end up being better players than, than people expected. So I, yeah. that's why I like this pick. I think if they redraft the draft from five years from now, there's a strong chance, I think, that Pogoshevsky is going in the top five. So that's that's all you're trying to do at that point in the draft. So that's why I liked it. If they had just drafted a, a Tyrese Maxey, I think I'd be less excited, obviously. I think he's a better player, obviously, at this yeah. point. But I just don't think he – I don't think his ceiling approaches what Pokashevsky says. Now, Pokashevsky's floor is through the basement. It is about as low as anyone in this draft, but his ceiling's as high as anyone in this draft, and that's why I like the pick. Yeah, it's it's interesting with this draft because I'm with you as far as the star power. Like I said, there was just there was not a single guy in this thing where I could point at and say I, I feel like I would put money on him being an all-star at some point. Um, but uh, unlike a lot of years, I felt like after you got past – those few guys that everybody projected to be the top picks. I felt like there were a lot of just good rotational players in this draft, and I don't always feel like that's the case. So often, I think guys that are taken in the first round are guys that want to be the star player on whatever team they go to in the NBA. And as you know, not everybody is, I mean, there are very few of those guys in the world. I mean, there are very few Kevin Durant's. Most of the time, even guys that are college All-Americans or even college players of the year go into the NBA, struggle for a couple seasons, and then hope to become a rotational guy. Like, J.J. Redick's a great example of this. J.J. Redick was the best player in the country for four years at Duke. <laughs> and, and then he goes to the NBA. He was, like, he was close to being out of the league, and then he had to just understand that he wasn't going to be a star. He was going to have to just find his niche in this league and become the best player at what he did well. And so I felt like there were a lot of those types of guys in this draft that – that like watching them play didn't necessarily get the feeling like they they were that star they wanted to be that star I think there are a lot of guys that have the skill set to just go in and play their their style and be a good fit for teams as opposed to having 25 first round picks that all think they're going to be ball dominant and scoring 20 points a game which is just unrealistic yeah, that's that's why I like Desmond Bain so much yeah, he is exactly. exactly what you just mentioned in terms of just a role player that will be a good player on a good team. That's why I like Bain more for a contender than I do for the Oklahoma City Thunder. I just think he's he looks like the quintessential 3 and D guy, doesn't need the ball in his hands, kind of a mini version of P.J. Tucker in guard form. He's just big, yeah. he's strong, right. and he just will stand over in the corner and hit threes all day. That, that's the type of – those are the type of players I saw throughout this draft. And, and John Hollinger wrote a really good piece and, and said that through every draft, there's about 20 guys that will actually be rotational players in the NBA. And so once you get past pick five, you're basically throwing darts because right. it's not always, it's never the top 20 guys that are the 20 guys mentioned in terms of that end up being rotational players. So that's that's what you're dealing with in the draft. It's, it's throwing a lot of darts and uh, Presti's hit the bullseye more than he's missed the board. So that's that's what Thunder fans have to trust. And I, and I know Thunder fans are so used to winning and it's going to be it's going to be difficult. It does come at a good time that there won't be fans in the stands in terms of the pandemic, oddly enough. But the way the Thunder will get back to being amongst the elite like they were for a decade is what we're seeing right now. This is what they did starting in Seattle to get Russell and Kevin. There's, the Thunder are not going to get back to the elite in free agency. They're not going to do it just straight up trades. They have to do it through the draft. So while this is a rebuild, it's a supercharged rebuild. Because what I mentioned earlier, you, you may have the fifth or sixth pick, but you have the draft capital now to do whatever you want 
in the draft. You can make the godfather offer to every single team to go get Cade Cunningham next year. That's the goal, is to get the Cade Cunninghams every single draft. Then all of a sudden you're looking around now, they're, they're not going to be Kevin Russell and James, but they're going to be their generation's version of that in terms of where they're picked. So that's that's how you get back immediately to where the Thunder were. So it's going to stink. They're not going to win a lot. But it's exciting for nights like like I, I like it. I like like there's different types of expectation with basketball, Colby. Like there's playoff and winning title expectations, and then there's draft night, which is so much fun now, seeing what Sam's going to do. And then you get to watch these young players grow up. We loved those early Thunder teams. The yeah. loudest ovation I think I ever heard in Chesapeake Arena is when they lost to the Lakers for their first ever playoff series. They got a standing ovation by going out in six games to the Lakers in the first round juxtapose that to, to losing in the NBA finals to the heat. So I, it's a different era, but it's, it's going to be fun too. As I would just caution people that are worried about losing. It, it's such a, an interesting dynamic because you kind of got this perfect storm when the thunder arrived of young players that were incredibly talented, but weren't established stars and they were playing their asses off every night to, to become names in the NBA, to become the known commodities that they are today. And because this is such a, a college type state I think people just appreciated how hard those guys played and then when they became the established stars and you weren't getting that same I guess effort every single night during the regular season that was frustrating for people and I know so many Thunder fans this year that fell in love with this group not because they were as good as previous teams but just because once again after every single game you felt like they just gave everything they had and and I just think that's appreciated here maybe more than anywhere else in the NBA yeah, remember the old Thunder U? We were we were Thunder U when Kevin, Russ, James, and Serge and all them were just youngsters, baby-faced kids, essentially. And that is something to get behind. And I just think that, you know, that there, there is something to that in terms of watching guys grow up. Now, I'll always remember, I'll always remember the quote from Russell Westbrook, and it, it sums up Oklahoma City market as well, because we are a college football market. They had just lost a game in, in just horrible fashion. I can't remember who, but Russell just kind of looked around. I was like, man, when we lose a game, people go bananas. He's like, this is the NBA. We play 82 of these things. Like, we're not going to win every single night. I think we still kind of have that college football mentality, yeah. even with the NBA. When the Thunder lose a game, you know, the next day on Sports Talk Radio, it's like, fire Presti, fire Billy, fire, 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 just like we are at college football. So, uh, we have to kind of learn to be an NBA city still because we've been living in a fairy tale world for, for a decade. This just does not happen, especially in a small market. We've been so, it's been such an anomaly. And again, I, I think this is where you have to give Sam Presti credit to Colby. The rug was pulled out from under him when Kevin left for nothing. And that destroys 99.9% .9 of franchises when an all-star top 15 player ever leaves for nothing. And I know you still had Russell, but the way he piecemealed it together to get Paul George out of thin air and keep making the playoffs. If you've ever said fire Sam Presti, you're just wrong. He's one of the best GMs in the league and he keeps proving it time after time. How many GMs could have pulled them out of that? That would have set every other franchise back 20 years if Kevin leaves for nothing. And Russell just says, you know what? I don't trust this franchise moving forward. I'm out. The trust in Sam is why Russell stayed. And that's an also a credit to him. So I wouldn't trust many people with all these first round picks, but I trust Sam Presti. And I frankly rue the day, Colby, that he's not the GM. I think he's just, he's proving time and time again, he's one of the best in the league. Well, regardless on, on how people feel about Sam Presti, and, and certainly 
you know, there are, there are things that, that people complain about, and rightfully so, and there are things that I think he probably doesn't get enough praise for, but the bottom line is Oklahoma City is not L.A., it's not New York, it's not Miami, and you're never going to build this team by wooing top free agents to come sign and play for Oklahoma City. The only way that the Thunder are going to be NBA relevant is by acquiring as many assets as possible, making trades, and drafting well. And to that point, I don't know that there are a lot of guys as good as Sam Presti in that department. So uh, I, I'm with you. I, I, I don't think that everything Sam Presti has done is perfect, and he certainly made his mistakes. But do you, I mean, if you go get the top salesman GM in the NBA to come to Oklahoma City to try and, and sign free agents, I think that's the wrong way to go about it. I think he's going to fail miserably. So I think you have the right guy to build a, a team in Oklahoma City the way that the only way that it's going to be built in Oklahoma City. Yeah, and people pick apart his draft record, but go go show me a GM that's that's 100%. I mean, I think, I think if you put his percentages on hitting guys who have made the NBA, I think his percentages would be right near the top. So, and and you're so right about like we've talked a lot about it building through the draft. The the way it works for Oklahoma City is when you draft a guy, you basically have him for 8 years because he's going to he obviously signs his first deal for 4 years. 100% of players re-sign their second deal with that team because they can offer them so much more money. It's just, it's dumb, frankly, to try to go sign with another team. So that's yeah, that's yeah. eight years. It's an eight-year run. And then if they leave, they leave. But you, they have young, controllable contracts that are going to stay here. That is, that's the, that's the number one method they're going to get back to NBA relevance. You're totally right about that. And I'm so intrigued about Cade Cunningham because he chose to go to Stillwater. He chose to go to Stillwater, Oklahoma. I think he'd be willing to stay in Oklahoma City and playing for an NBA team. So that, that's exciting, too. Now, we're a long ways from that, but uh, that, that's what's exciting about it. And I, I did like the, like the uh, second-round pick, too. I guess it's Teo Melodon from France, another international guy. You're going to see a lot of internationals when they're picking late first, early second. But it's kind of a cool story, Colby, because he plays for Tony Parker's team that he owns in France. He obviously grew up idolizing Tony Parker, being a point guard from France. Right. Kind of been his mentor. And now he goes to where Sam Presti is now running a team. Because Sam Presti, if you'll remember, as a young executive in San Antonio, was pounding the table that they needed to draft Tony Parker. He was integral in them drafting Tony Parker. And obviously that worked out pretty well for the Spurs. And now he comes full circle with his heir apparent going to, to Sam Presti. I thought that was kind of a cool layer to the story and, and again he's he's another young euro with potential we'll have to wait and see but apparently he's he's 19 but he, he apparently he's just mature beyond his years which is exciting for me so i liked both picks in terms yeah. of draft draft potential and you got time to see if it comes to fruition i think the expectation is he will be here next year he will contribute in some way next year uh, I saw multiple mock drafts yesterday that had him going in the top 20 of the draft so Again, wow. I don't know a whole lot about him, but when you have multiple people projecting him to be a first-round guy and even a top-20 guy, uh, getting him at 34 is a bargain. But I would be lying if I said I wasn't somewhat disappointed because my guy Nico Mannion from, from uh, Arizona was available at that point. Looks like Chase Buttinger, the swag of Allen Iverson, and just hits big shots constantly, tough shots. I was all in on the Nico Mannion pick at 34. He's like the ginger Tyler, Tyler hero. <laughs> yes. I mean, sign me up. The, the ginger Tyler hero. I was, I was fired up for too. I, I queued up some, you know, there was actually some buzz. The thunder were talking to him too. I don't know if you saw some of those tweets that were coming out. I think I, think I saw you tweet about him right after I had seen a, 
a tweet from some NBA guy that got retweeted in my timeline that they were talking to him. Where did he end up going? Golden State. Oh, no. Because apparently he and Steph are close, and they're like the same size, height, weight. Uh, I think they even have the same birthday. Like, it's, it's, it's like creepy. Really? Interesting. So the Warriors... Yeah. Man, they they seem to have lost Clay Thompson for another year, which Brutal. is which is terrible. But that's a good spot for him to go because that that certainly would fit his style of play for sure. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I just I watched. I had never seen him play, and I just turned on uh, some highlights, and I I was just completely stunned. And maybe it's because you just don't expect it when you see him, but to to just see the athleticism and the the shot making ability, I was like, holy cow, this guy is insane. It's it's a little like Caruso. You just you look at him, you're like, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna smoke. Like this team's gonna smoke that dude, and then he ends up, you know, it starts just dunks on your face, and then it hits a three in your face. So it's a little bit of the, of the Caruso cor- corollary. He's losing his hair. This guy's got a lot of a lot of red hair. Yeah. But uh, I, I like that guy too. But he, he could be a again, millionaire. I, just for, just for me, I don't like it for the Thunder. Just go draft potential yeah. and sit on it for a while. I, I like those picks better. I think he could be a millionaire just playing the Billy Hoyle role across the country on playgrounds and just scamming people for cash. No doubt. That's that's a great point. Well, White Man Can't Jump, part part two, part 2020. Yeah. Nico Mannion. All right, let's uh, – actually, I did want to hit this real quick. Isn't it crazy you mentioned Cade Cunningham a couple times? I, I heard several draft analysts say that if he were available in this draft, he was the guaranteed number one pick. It's crazy to me that he can't come out that he has to sit and wait a year before he can do this, and the only only place he can go is down from here. Like, if you are the number one pick today, you literally have nothing to gain from from doing anything over the next year. Yeah, you basically you're risking injury. But I will say this: even if he were to play poorly in the Big Twelve, which I don't anticipate, I think he's the real deal. Even if he were to play poorly, the NBA they they project so much more than production, like the NFL. Uh, I think they put a lot more emphasis on production and obviously the measurables with the combine in the NFL. But I, I think just his reputation, his potential to play both guard spots. He just he's just a modern NBA player. I still think he would go one even if he even if he struggled. Now I'm not sure who else will be available next year as well. Now, next year's draft is supposed to be much stronger, but it is kind of wild that he can't just enter the draft, you know. But he can he can go fight in a war if he wanted to at 18 years old. It's a, it's kind of a weird, the NBA is kind of back into this weird place with their one and done rule. And I've always been of the opinion, you know, if you're LeBron, you should be able to go, like you shouldn't have to go play one year in college. Cause it's, it's really wrecked the college game Colby in terms of you got guys for one year and then your entire team's gutted. I think it's really hurt the university of Texas. They haven't played near to their standard cause they lose their best players after one year, every single week, like Texas is still putting guys into the NBA. So I, I'm interested to see what Cade looks like in college. Uh, we'll have to wait and see if he's the number one overall pick. And, and certainly if Sam wants him, I, I would assume Sam would like to have him, but maybe like somebody better. That's kind of, I just kind of look at, he's from Dallas. He chose to go to Oklahoma. You're worried about superstars leaving Oklahoma City at, at every turn. Seems like a good fit to me. Close to home, close to family. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, completely agree. All right, let's uh, let's stay in Stillwater. Uh, if you had asked me who I thought was going to win Bedlam three weeks ago, I would have said Oklahoma State. I don't feel the same way today. Uh, just thoughts on on where we are going into this thing, a couple days away. Well, I think you know the, the old cliche is, man, the bye week came at a good time, and I normally you know roll my eyes when I hear that, but 
this both these teams desperately needed just because all the injuries. I mean, you can go down the, the list, Stogner, Rattler, Colby Harvell Peel. It's the it's the biggest names on the roster for OSU. It's Colby Harvell Peel, it's Tylen, it's it's Chuba. So like I think they'll all be healthy coming into this game. So thanks to thank thankfully to having two weeks off. I just think Colby, you know, styles make fights. You know, you get to the you get to March Madness, you can run into a team that's just a bad stylistic matchup for you. You have an MMA fight where a guy just he might not be a better team, but he's a, a worse matchup for you. And that's kind of how I view this strictly with Oklahoma State's offensive line. And Oklahoma, I think not enough people have talked about it nationally in terms of what Alex Grinch has done with that defense. They're playing the best defense there that they have in a decade, in my opinion, especially on the defensive line. Now, their secondary, I think, is still susceptible. I just struggle to envision OSU moving the football because I don't think they're going to be able to run it with their offensive line. They've struggled to run it against worse defensive lines. And I just don't know if you can ask Spencer Sanders to drop back 40 times in a game and beat you and, and, beat, a, and beat a team like Oklahoma. And so you factor that in. I do think OSU's defense is legit. I think OU's been beaten up on the, the little sisters of the poor the last two, three, four weeks. They have not played a defense of this caliber, I mean, since when? I mean, Texas isn't as good as OSU. So Iowa State probably would be the biggest comp, but they're better than Iowa State's defense. So I, I think Oklahoma State's defense can keep them in this game. I do. I just I worry about Ramondre Stevenson wearing them out as the game wears on late in the game and, and OSU's punting all game. So I'm curious to see those matchups. I'm curious to see the approach Mike Gundy takes because in years past, he's been Ann Coulter conservative. I mean, he would punt and he would be just happy to hand it off off tackle and not do anything, not go for it. Yeah. And that was so frustrating. In like 2016, he's taking a knee at midfield and just running out the clock instead of trying to kick a field goal or throw a Hail Mary. I will say, while that criticism is well-deserved, and I've been saying it as loud as anybody, he went for it in 18. He tried to go for the two-point conversion. They were airing it out with Corndog. They had Drew Brown last year. I mean, what, what what could he have done that year? He has he has gone for it. He hasn't been as conservative lately, so that's what I want to see. Yeah, I, I that to me might be the biggest storyline in this game because of what you mentioned. I think we've just reached this point where the matchup on the line of scrimmage for Oklahoma State's offensive line and the Sooners' defensive line is just such a mismatch. That's where I see the game being decided, and that's where I see Oklahoma just having a massive advantage. But in terms of Mike Gundy in this game, you're right. Like He he gets a lot of criticism for being conservative. I, I've, I've brought up the two-point conversion as well, and I thought that was the right move at the time. I know it didn't work. I still think it was the right move, though. Um, right but, call. It was there. Yeah, it was there. Absolutely. Uh, but I, this is a weird one because, like you said, when you have a defense that can keep you in ball games. The approach, I think, should be to be conservative and not do anything to prevent your best unit from either keeping you in or winning the ballgame, which would be the defense. The other side to that is it's such a weird dynamic where Oklahoma State, it kind of felt like, was the favorite to win this game. And like I said, three weeks ago, I probably would have picked them. And when you consider Oklahoma being as inexperienced as they are in a lot of places, the Cowboys having as much experience as they do, it all kind of lined up for maybe this to be the year where you're able to get one on Oklahoma. Oklahoma loses their fir first two conference games. Like It just kind of felt like it all set up for Oklahoma State to take Bedlam this season, and now we've kind of flip-flopped, but it still kind of feels like Oklahoma State has more pressure in the matchup because Oklahoma, like their season, it just kind of felt like was over 
after their second loss, and now they're just kind of playing free and clear, and it, it just kind of feels like they're playing with a weight off their shoulders, whereas I kind of feel like the weight watching Oklahoma State play, the weight feels like it's just piling on every week. Yeah, and I think I think Oklahoma's a better football team today because they got two of the top five players on their roster back. I mean, Ronnie Perkins is the best player on their entire team, and they get him back, and yeah, he's wreaking havoc off the defensive end. And adding to a defensive line that I've said is playing the best they have in 10 years. And Ramondre Stevenson looks like a, a Kareem Hunt type, a guy that's going to play in the NFL. He'd probably be a third, fourth-round pick. That's the guy that's going to play in the NBA. He could play or in the NBA in the NFL, and he could play right now. I just think he's an NFL. He's an adult. He, he sat out a year. People don't remember that before he went to JUCO. So he's he's an older, grown man that has really reinvigorated their running game. Because Colby, they they didn't average four yards a carry the right. first four games of the year until until Ramondre came back. Now he's averaging eight. So that's that's a matchup concern. And, and you're right about OSU and the, the weight that. They know this is for a Big 12 championship, and it's, I think, believe since 2010, uh, Bedlam's decided or decided who goes to the Big 12 title game five times. And so it, everything did line up with all the skill talent. The, when your offensive line can't block anybody, it makes it very difficult. That's what I mean by by Mike Gunning not being conservative. You're going to have to yeah. generate some points. Agreed. You're going to have to manufacture some points, whether that's a fake punt, a fake field goal. Uh, a, a double pass, you know, I, I just don't think you can play it straight up, hand it off tackle to Chuba, you know, hand it off uh, to, to LD Brown, left, right, and whatever, and, and just expect to win this game. And I do think Tylen can expose that secondary. I think Buki Radley Hiles is, is served up on a platter for Jelani Woods. If they choose to throw to him, they just don't throw to him. I, they don't throw to him. They didn't throw to Blake Jarwin when he was, he was on campus. He's playing for the Dallas Cowboys. I know he's hurt right now, but, I want to see some creativity because you're going to have to manufacture points in terms of your offense because you're going to struggle to move the ball. But I do like your point about this kind of is a Mike Gundy fever dream, right? You, you ride your defense, you hand it off, you punt, you play conservative, and you let your defense go in the game. That's kind of like what he's always dreamed of because he has this reputation of being the air raid guy, but he really is kind of a Pat Jones, run the football, play yeah. discipline, play defense. So that the matchup's certainly interesting, and that, I just, I, I'm worried about OSU's offense. What's the magic number in your mind that OSU would have to score for you to feel like that's that's a guaranteed W? Guaranteed? I, I think they have to score 30 just to have a chance to win this game. I agree. Guaranteed win? I think if they get to, to 38, 35, 38, because I'm very confident that OSU's defense has a chance. I'm not saying they will. I think they have a chance to hold Oklahoma below 30, which hasn't been done I believe in 59 straight games for, for Oklahoma. It's some crazy number like that. That's the level of defense OSU's playing. Now it's they're gonna have to get after Rattler, force some turnovers. But people forget, like I know they have Ramondre Stevenson back. Iowa State held Oklahoma to 30. Oklahoma State's defense is better than Iowa State's. Iowa State's one of the best defenses in the league, obviously. But they don't have some of the NFL talent that OSU has. They're they're talented at every single level. And I think Jim Knowles has a lot of confidence in those two safeties and Rodarius Williams, yeah. who's having an all big 12 caliber year. You never hear his name because he just shuts down whoever's across from him. I think he's trust those guys to come after Rattler because Rattler's shown a lot of pop with the arm. He looks the part. We all like what we've seen for a majority of the season, but Rattler's played his best football when he's got to sit back in the pocket against Kansas and Texas tech. When Texas collapsed that pocket, he struggled and he, he got benched. 
So as down as I am on OSU's offense, if their defense can get after him in that way, they can win this game. That's why the point spread's moving in OSU's favor, Colby. That's, a, yeah. that's another positive sign, I think, for OSU. Normally, this, this line comes out, and a lot of smart money just hammers OU to get it up to 10 or 12. Well, it started at 10 and went down to 6.5. Smart money's on OSU. So I think a lot of people are looking at that matchup as well. Yeah, Spencer Rattler's interesting because, he's like you said, he's been great since the Texas benching, and he responded in a big way. Uh, PFF grades him as the third best Power 5 quarterback in college football at this point, ahead of Trevor Lawrence, actually. Um, wow. But I, you're right. I think it's interesting with the Spencer Rattler storyline and Oklahoma State getting pressure. If Spencer Rattler understands that, that he's going to get hit in this game and there are going to be, I guess, throwaway plays – then I think Oklahoma is is ready to win the game. Because I, I think he just has the mentality, I, I'm not going to score every play. I'm not going to hit the big play every play. Sometimes they're going to get to me, and I either have to take it or I have to throw the ball away. And if he does that, I think there are going to be opportunities when Oklahoma State gets aggressive for him to hit the big play. And I, I fully expect that they're going to hit some big plays in this game. But if if in those situations he doesn't throw the ball away or he doesn't eat it and he tries to make some things happen in the middle of chaos... That's where you give Oklahoma State some extra offensive opportunities, and that's where that gap closes, and all of a sudden the Cowboys have a chance. But on that side of the ball, yeah, I think the Spencer Rattler storyline as far as what does he do when pressure comes, because he's going to have those chances to hit the big plays, but there are also going to be plays where I think he just has to be smart and eat it and understand that, that maybe taking a sack isn't necessarily the worst thing to do in certain situations. It's funny. You can substitute Sanders in everything you just said with Rattler. Yeah. It's the same thing, right? They, they both tend to, when the pocket collapses, tend to, to freak out a little bit. And, and you're right. I thought Rattler had made some steps towards preventing that from happening. And then he loses his mind against Kansas. That, that interception he threw was mind-numbingly bad. And I didn't think the offense played great against Kansas. I know they ended up with 60 that's because it's Kansas, and they they struggled for a large portion of that game. So that's another, you know, intrigue to this game. You know, they they've ran the football really well against Kansas and Texas Tech, but yeah. Texas couldn't run the ball against Oklahoma State. I know OU's running games better in Texas, but they have similar athletes. That offensive line again was averaging less than four yards per carry, and they're playing defenses with a pulse. So it's it's a super fascinating matchup in terms of that. But I think everything you just said about Rattler uh, totally applies to Sanders. I think Spencer Sanders is deciding this game for Oklahoma or for Oklahoma State because, let's face it, Colby, he's a walking turnover. I mean, he's he has more interceptions than touchdown passes in Big 12 play in his career. So That's if he crazy. comes out and plays like he did, you know, against Texas down in Austin last year where he played really well, that Oregon State game, which was his first career start. He hasn't approached that level of play since. But if he can make plays with his legs, if they can get the ball out of his hands quick, I think that's the key to this entire offensive game plan for Casey Dunn, Colby, is extensions of the running game are those quick little, you know, wide receiver screens where you have two guys blocking down on each side. That's what Oklahoma used to do with Landry Jones almost every other play. And it was just basically an extension of the running game. If they can do that and he can limit his turnovers, OSU can absolutely win this game. But this is where I'm so disappointed. You know, Brian Keating and I have been on this lane for a long time. You know, Mike Gundy himself, not me, not Brian Keating. Nobody else has said this but Mike Gundy, that it takes 20 games for a quarterback to truly become a Big 12 quarterback and ready to play at this level. Well, Spencer Sanders played 13 
Why is that? Because they chose to play a red shirt walk-on in Taylor Cornelius for an entire season, took every snap virtually. I think he went out for one play the entire season. And the season then went six and six. Now you have all this Big 12 title expectations, title uh, talent around him. You got this championship level defense and your quarterback's not ready for the moment. Yeah. Because he rode the pine and got no playing experience over his career. I think that might get he totally mismanaged the trajectory of this football program because now you're right there. You got all the pieces other than your offensive line. And your quarterback keeps turning the ball over because he's he doesn't have that 20 game threshold that you swear by. I just I, I still cannot believe they played a red shirt fifth year walk on who is leaving the program in one year to go six and six. And even in games that weren't going well against Texas Tech, they couldn't score a point. Against right. Kansas State, they couldn't score a point. You don't, and then you had the you had the red shirt rule to play him at least three games and not burn a year. I just that to me is frustrating if you're an LSU fan because you got this team that's ready to win a title and your quarterback's not because he didn't play and he's had some injuries that contributes to only playing 13 games. So I don't know that that to me is disappointing going into this game. But if they win this game, Colby, they're they're in the driver's seat to uh, to win the Big 12 title. So it's it's a massive game. Yeah. I, I by the way, I completely agree with you on the quarterback situation. And even if you told me that Corn Dog should have started that season, and at some point you bring Spencer Sanders along, like I, I totally get that as well. The fact that they didn't even utilize the redshirt rule or understand that once the season kind of got away, you didn't make that transition to me was still even if you're splitting time. Like it, it just, I, I yeah. never really understood the approach. Took there. every snap. Yeah, every single snap he yeah. took, but one. Yeah, that's insane to me. All right, I, I do want to finish up with Mike Gundy because he gets a lot of criticism over the Bedlam record, and and deservedly so. I think there are there are people that believe that he should be like 500 against Oklahoma and winning every other time, and I, I don't think that is fair at all. I mean, obviously. Oklahoma is one of the greatest college football programs in the history of college football. Oklahoma State is, is without a doubt, a tier or two down, and they don't recruit the same level of players. It's just not set up for them to be on the same level as Oklahoma every single year. So this idea that you're going to be on an even playing field every year and you're just going to get the coin flip every other season to me is a little crazy. But I think it's, you have to set the bar somewhere. So is it unreasonable to think that you win one out of four or one out of five? Or, like, where is that bar? Because right now, the, I mean, again, the record is extremely low. I mean, one of five is 20%, and Mike Gundy's not even at 20%. Well, it's amazing that the, one of his two wins was one of the most improbable wins I've ever seen. I mean, OU repunts to Tyree Kill, and they win that game. Can I make an excuse for Mike? I mean, I no one makes excuses for Mike ever, me included, in terms of Bedlam. <laughs> but I was just thinking back to, to how the, an underrated storyline in this game is the fact that it's not the last game of the year. And let's go through it. Injuries have killed OSU in this game. 2009, they're down to Hubert Anyum as their number one receiver because Des Bryant gets suspended wrongfully. Zach Robinson's playing with one arm. They get shut out. 2010. Uh, Justin Blackman's playing on one leg. He's, dra he's dragging his leg across Lewis Field as they play an unbelievable football game that Landry makes plays at the end. 2011, they win. Uh, 2012, now I'm racking my brain. What was the 20 uh, 2012 game? Uh, Great Joseph game and Norman Randall goes, and Norman. Goes, yeah. goes to overtime. Yeah. You lead the entire game until the final seconds click off, until the clock was already zero in overtime. They led that entire game. Yeah. Should have won that one. 
2013, inexcusable to me, the worst loss of Mike Gundy's career. You were so much better than Oklahoma. Oklahoma did some things that I'm talking about to manufacture points, playing three quarterbacks. The did the punt. fake field goal, yeah, which was or, brilliant. Yeah, and then Blake Bell ha has an out-of-body experience. 2014, you play Mason. You somehow win that game as a 24-point underdog. 2015, Mason Rudolph breaks his foot the week prior against Baylor. You're playing J.W. Walsh. You can't throw the football more than 30 yards against a team like Oklahoma. You get blown out. 2016, right there with 2013. They wouldn't let Mason Rudolph throw in the rain, which is – Mayfield was slinging it all over the field. That's on Gundy. So yeah. 13 and 16, injuries didn't play a, a factor. 17, James Washington gets hurt in the game. So all of a sudden, the guy who they refused to use, Tyron Johnson, right there with Jelani Woods in terms of underutilized NFL players, turns into your number one receiver. Uh, 2018, Justice Hill doesn't play. Chuba Hubbard comes in and plays great. So 2019, Drew Brown is your quarterback because Spencer Sanders gets hurt. I think that's something no one talks about. That if you, if, you got, if you talk to Mike Gundy off the record, you'd be like, my, my damn best players hurt every year in Bedlam because we play in the last game of the year. That's been a factor. The problem I have with Mike Gundy is when his team is as good or better than Oklahoma, that's when he's at his most conservative. That's when he plays it too close to the vest, plays it not to lose instead of playing to win. Go beat them. Go, go run it up on them, which even in that year in 2011, what they did, Colby, when they did run it up, it's the only game of the year that Brandon Whedon didn't have a touchdown pass. <laughs> yeah. They were pretty conservative, just handing yeah. it off. Just well, let's not throw any intercept. Let's let's make sure we win this. And they were just so much better that Oklahoma it didn't matter that year. So that's my criticism, Colby. They tend to play better. Or win, they tend to win this game as a three touchdown underdog than when they're favored. That that to me is the biggest criticism. He he wouldn't be 500 against Oklahoma. I think 2013 certainly they should have won. 2012 they should have won. Uh, other than that, you know, 2017 was a great game. Rudolph throws two critical interceptions and Mayfield throws for 600 yards. I mean, that, that game, you left it all out on the field. I'm not going to blame him for that. And then his hands were tied in 2018 and 19. So could it be better? It absolutely should. But the only real strikes against some of those games I mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I again, I, I, I know that uh, it, it's just crazy to me that anybody would expect him to be even close to 50% because they're just different programs and they're not on the same level. Um, whereas, you know, like pick your rivalry in college football. Like if you want to say, oh, you Texas, maybe that's a 50% type of rivalry. Or I don't even think Alabama Auburn's quite at that level. Like Alabama, I think is, is favored to win that most years. And, and if Auburn gets one of three or one of four, that's probably good enough. But yeah, I, I, so I, again, I, I don't think that, that splitting, you know, is, is realistic, but you do have to set the bar somewhere. And it, you, would, you would think that it should line up for you at least one one out of every four to five years to have that chance to win, and you can't miss that chance. And that's why I think this game just seems so interesting because it felt like this was that chance where everything lined up, and over the last three weeks, it's all kind of like slipping through the fingers. Yeah, and I think it helps. You know, the game's in Norman. For some reason, they've won more in Norman than in Stillwater, and I'm totally with you on that. And now the question becomes, if, if you don't beat Oklahoma this year, I mean, when are you going to beat them again yeah. or ever? I mean, not, not ever, but like when's the next year that you're talking about in which you have a great shot at it? Because you lose Chuba, you lose Tylen, 
it's all on Spencer Sanders, and that has not been a good winning formula for for Oklahoma State. Now I know they'll return a lot of their defensive talent, but you just start to look down the line. Oklahoma is going to be a national title contender next year, especially if they convince Ramondre Stevenson and Ronnie Perkins to come back. They're going to be loaded next year. Uh, so that that's kind of the the uh, what you're talking about with the more pressure being on Oklahoma State. Like if you don't beat them this year, like right. When is it going to get them for, for several more years? So that's yeah. that's another concern for OSU. But I think it's going to be a great game. I think the OSU defense is going to keep them in it. I just, I, I guess, obviously, turn, turnovers decide every football game for the most part. That's obviously going to be huge. But I'm curious to see how well Oklahoma runs the football. If Ramondre Stevenson averages over five yards of carry, it, it, the OU's going to win the game. It's going to be that simple. If, they, if OSU can hold them back to what they were rushing for before, and force you know force it be a little more pressure on get rattler in some passing situations well then it's anyone's ball game but i just worry you know when they play texas texas didn't run the ball very well for the most part but the texas just kind of looked like they they looked great coming off the bus that they had different level of athlete and that's kind of what i always worry about and and when bedlam always begins you kind of realize oh yeah oklahoma's got just different looking dudes in the trenches than most teams OSU plays. So I'm curious to see. I think, I think the running games for both teams is going to decide this game, point yeah. blank. For sure, man. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Big-time matchup, obviously. Not the same setting that you would normally get with college game day in town, but college game days in town, and, and that just makes it that much more fun. Going from Augusta National to Norman, Oklahoma, <laughs> that's... It's hard. To, I, I probably wouldn't have left Augusta. Like, I'm just going to stream from here, guys. I'm going to play another 18. Thanks. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be a different feel. And I, I do love when game day does come to, to either Stillwater or Norman because it shines such a light on those programs. They do features on the players. And, and you know, let's, let's face it, Colby, OSU, you know, Oklahoma's not out of the Big 12 title race. But OSU, if they win, I know they're probably not going to the playoff, but they need as many eyeballs on, on them as possible because – it prevents, like, what happened against Texas. Their defense played unbelievably great in that game. Their offense just handed the game away. Guys on the committee didn't watch that game. Most people in the country didn't watch that game. And they look at the box score, like, ah, same old OSU defense, gave up 40 and went to right. overtime. So with all the eyeballs that are going to be on this game, that's very important to show what type of team OSU is should they win. They're a defensive-minded football team that's got NFL talent on offense. So we'll see if they can, can get it done. Am, am I supposed to give a pick? Uh, if you want to, go for it. Okay. And, again, I, I go – the further that we get closer into this week, I was very sure about this on Monday, but the closer we get to the weekend, I, I'm kind of expecting one of those wild kind of one-point, you know, crazy overtime type games. Like, we, when they're evenly matched, and which they appear to be this year for the most part, that's when we get those wild outcomes that Oklahoma typically wins. It's the, it's the blowout matchups that – OSU stuns OU that we usually see, but I just think Oklahoma State's defense, the way you beat them is running it with a with a Ramondre Stevenson, running right at them and then throwing it over the top. And I'm with you. I think OSU's going to risk giving up big plays to get after Rattler. I think they'll do both. I think they'll get after Rattler. I think they'll give up some big plays. I just don't see an avenue where OSU can consistently move the football with how much pressure Sanders is going to be under. I mean, OSU made Joseph Osai look like Lawrence Taylor. I mean, that's – and Osai's a good player. He's only a first-round draft pick. And I just think Ronnie Perkins and company are going to harass Sanders and, and frankly, beat him up. And if not if not force a lot of turnovers, just beat him up into submission. So I, 
I don't see OSU scoring a lot of points in this one. I got Oklahoma. I think they the defense for OSU keeps them in it, but I think by the fourth quarter, OU scores a couple late touchdowns to extend the lead, and we look back and go, oh, you won comfortably. But I got 35-17 Oklahoma. I think they win pretty pretty handily just because I just – that offensive line is in shambles. And I yeah. don't see any way they move the football. And I don't trust Mike Gundy, frankly, to, to pull rabbits out of his hat. He hadn't done that ever in Bedlam. Yeah. I'm with you, man. I think the defense is good. But if, if you even have one or two short fields, that obviously puts you in a bad situation, a lot like the Texas game. And then I think, like you said, time of possession in the second half becomes really concerning. And if the Oklahoma State defense is on the field all day long – it doesn't matter how good you are against a, a, a team that has as much firepower as Oklahoma. You're just you're gonna start to wilt, and and that's just the way I see it going because I just don't have any any confidence whatsoever that we're gonna see Oklahoma State's offensive line being drastically better than it's been the last two outings. And I think that's the only way they have a chance to compete in this game is if they're drastically better against an Oklahoma defensive front that has been outstanding, frankly, since the Texas game. Yeah, and I'm, I'm totally with you on all that. And I don't think there's a program in the country that could lose six offensive linemen and expect to, to have an elite offense. Right, now, yeah. If you're, t- if you're only going to throw a shoe, I mean, they can make some big plays. They can throw it up to Tylen, let him go get it. Shuba can, can make things happen on his own a lot of times. And there, there is an avenue to where OSU doesn't have sustained success on offense and hits the home runs. That's that's their best chance in this game. And I think they can do that. I just, if I'm forced to give a pick, I just think Oklahoma wears them out at the, the duration of the game. I agree, my friend. All right, I appreciate you joining me. Uh, we'll do it again soon. This was fun. Yeah, anytime, Colby. Uh, pleasure as always. Carson Cunningham with KOCO Channel 5 joining me on the Colby Daniels Podcast. That is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Make sure you check out their line of natural medicine products, abotanicalcompany.com, or give them a call, 405-458-9699. Educate yourself on what they have available and how it can help your daily life. You can, you can place your orders online. You can go pick up your delivery. It's a very simple process. It's safe. And again, I would just urge you to educate yourself and find out what they have. They are great people. They do great things within their community. And I'm excited once again to have them along the ri- along for the ride uh, on the Colby Daniels podcast. So Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City, abotanicalcompany.com or 405-458-9699. Uh, if you want to hit me up, you can do so on Twitter at Colby underscore Daniels. Instagram is Colby.Daniels. Uh, feel free to ask questions, bring up topics that were talked about in the podcast. Uh, just give me your, your reaction to whatever you want to talk about. I always appreciate the interaction from you guys. That is it for this episode. Uh, Bedlam football all day tomorrow, barring the Thunder making another crazy trade or Steven Adams potentially uh, on the move. But uh, we're going to talk Bedlam football tomorrow, get you ready for that monster matchup in Norman, Oklahoma on Saturday night. College game day going to be in town, and I cannot wait for this one. It's going to be a fun weekend. All right, everybody, stay safe. Have a great day, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Podcast is over.